Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Good to see you today. Um, we have some guests. So the second row here, um, we had uh, we have two two daughters. This is our daughter Rebecca, who is from Kansas City. She has five children. Two are homesick, but uh, the healthy ones are here. And then this is our daughter uh, Sarah, who played the piano for her husband John. Uh, John is uh, in a music program at the University of Illinois. And um, between some sickness and the, and the storm this week, uh, we are, our plans of a fa- as a family have changed, and so we're glad, glad to have them here. And um, uh, especially um, Mark, our youngest grandson, who uh, turned, turned one a little while ago. Uh, we also have over here another friend of our families, Chris, Chris Parley, and uh, her husband, Jim, must be working. Yeah, and so uh, uh, the, she is actually a friend of the Dunkersons as well as, I didn't know this, but a uh, friend of Dory. And uh, where's Dory? There she is. And uh, she, knows the, she knows Jim, I guess Jim's family, back from way back. So anyway, we're glad... Glad to have uh, have her here, her here as well. So, welcome to welcome to uh, Christmas at Northridge Baptist. It's a little unusual to have Christmas actually on a Sunday, so it's kind of nice, kind of nice to be here as a as a church family. Uh, take your Bible and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter twenty four. Luke chapter twenty four, and I want to I want to think a little bit today. Uh, a little bit different perspective on on Christmas, but thinking about what what prepared uh, the the Christmas story, what is behind the Christmas story, and today's sermon is entitled "All Things Must Be Fulfilled." Um, and everyone, whether whether you are a believer or not, everyone has to make a choice about Christ. Who is Christ? How are you going to engage the story of Christ? Um, we we look at the at the season, and it's amazing how the season can can be so filled with this, with Christmas, and have almost nothing of Christ. Um, my my wife enjoys, and I occasionally I, I watch some some with her some of the Christmas movies, and they labor they labor as hard as they possibly can to make a movie and never name Christ. And the season, the, all the all the all the things that are in the store, it's all about it's all about gifts, it's all about Santa Claus. It's all about giving. It's all about trees and decorations. It's all you know, all the all the things that are Christmas, and how much of it is missing Christ, and yet He is the key question of history. How will you handle Christ? How do you personally engage Christ? And there are those today who say, "No, thank you." I you know I want to I want to have Christmas without Christ. I want to have I want to have the the uh, the fun and the engagement and the and the the time of year and do nothing with Christ. And yet 
in, in doing that, they are answering the question, what are you going to do with Christ, by ignoring Christ and by setting him aside. I want you to see in Luke chapter 24, Christ has already lived his life. He has already been crucified. He has already been risen from the dead. And he is, in Luke 24, he is walking down, down a road with people who knew him during his life. They were aware that he was crucified, and they had, they had no idea that he had raised from the dead. And so we have at verse 13, these, these two men, verse uh, Luke 24, 13, traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they, they talked about the things of, of, of Christ. And, and while, at verse 15, while they, were con- while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. And their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. They would have known him during his lifetime. But, they're, but, but, the, but the, he's veiled to them as to, as to his identity. And he said, what kind of conversation is this that you're having? You're so sad. And so, so they talk about, um, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem and how, how, how Jesus was crucified? And we go all the way down through here. And, and so finally, in verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And so Jesus is saying, don't you know what the, what the Old Testament says? And so here is what we have in verse 27 now. And beginning at Moses, so the Pentateuch, in the first books of the Old Testament, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then skip over with me to to um, a little further, verse 44. I'm going to skip a lot of the story here, but he's speaking now to the disciples. And in verse 44, Jesus says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so here, as, as Christ is preparing to to go up into glory, what, what is on his mind? What is on his mind is the prophecies that were spoken of Jesus as he came to this earth. So what I want to do today as we, as we think about Christ in the Old Testament, as we think about the, the emphasis that, that the Old Testament has of of, of uh, revealing who this person of Jesus Christ is. I want us to, to understand that these prophecies connect, yes, to the nativity, but they also are well attested in, in, in Jewish literature as being part of, 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 of the messianic heritage that we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we think now, and I, what I want to do is I, I want to look at Christ and prophecy. I want to think about what, what, what Old Testament prophets actually said about the coming of Christ. Now, many of the things that we're going to look at you're familiar with, but what I want to do is I want you to think about these prophecies in terms of a narrowing. 
So think with me of a, of a funnel. You guys know what a funnel is like, where it's big at the top, and it lets you pour in things so you don't miss it. You know, it's got, you know, bigger, bigger at the top. And every, everything works down to a very narrow point so you can, you can put things into something that are, that's, that, that's very small. So think, think, of a, think of a funnel, and that's what we're going to look at today as we look at, at these prophecies. Now, we could stop at any one of the prophecies and, and spend a long time. We're not going to do that. We're going we're to go through these very quickly. And, and what I want you to do, first of all, is turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And the first thing we want to look at is the seed of the woman. Genesis chapter 3, we have what is really the first statement of the gospel. We, we know that the, the world and man were created in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall where, where um, not only does Eve, is Eve deceived, but Adam willfully falls into sin. And there is a curse that is placed on on mankind, and so what I want you to think with me here is we have first of all the the, the in, in understanding the seed of the woman in verse fifteen we have this statement uh, where where God is speaking to Eve. I will put or rather to to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is between the serpent and the woman, between Satan and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, that is the seed of the woman, will bruise your head, and you, that is the serpent, will bruise his heel. And so there is an understanding here that that the serpent will cause a problem for the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will provide a deadly wound, bruise the head of, of the serpent. And we understand right at the very outset, in fact, this is a well-attested passage in even, even Jewish literature of understanding that there was going to be, in the seed of the woman, the solution to sin. In fact, it, is, it was taken perhaps so literally by, by Eve that when we come to chapter 4, um, and and we, we open up, and Eve has her firstborn son, which, which was Cain, where, he sa- where she says, and my, the new, new King James says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That could well be translated, I have, I have acquired a, 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 a son, even the Lord. I mean, it's possible that, that Eve actually thinks at, at this moment that, that, that the solution that was promised in Genesis 3.15 has actually happened. Now, we know that that doesn't happen for a while. But understand that, that in, in selecting the seed of the woman to provide the solution, the ultimate solution for sin, what God is doing is he's eliminating all other options all of the other options. In other words, sin would not be provided and solved by the blood of a bull. It was not going to be provided by, by, by the richest. The richest get to buy their way out. It wasn't going to be solved by, by some other mechanism. 
But it was only going to be solved by the seed of the woman. That's, that was the solution. And so in, in doing that, every, every point as we go through this, I'm going to talk about what is eliminated. The, the, what is eliminated when we talk about the seed of the woman, what is eliminated is, are any other options for salvation. It is only going to come through the seed of the woman. The second thing I want you, the second prophecy here is the, the seed of a virgin. So look with me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Again, we're going to look quickly at these things. Here is a well-known prophecy, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, or Emmanuel means God with us. And so here is a a prediction, here's a prophecy that a a virgin will conceive. Now, we take that at face value. We take that and and understand that, that, that that is actually what is being said. But we also understand the oddity of, of what is being said. How in the world does a virgin conceive? And yet we understand as we, as we fast forward to Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 that that is exactly what God did with, with Mary. Understand that in, in selecting a virgin to provide the the, 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 the means for the birth of the Messiah for God with us, that means that, that, all, that what is eliminated is all married women. You, under, you understand that th- this is set up immediately for a miracle. I mean, there is, there is, a, there is a, a strangeness in how we understand human procreation to work, there's going to be an interruption in that process. A virgin is going to conceive. By the way, do we believe in the immaculate conception? That's a, that's a term, if you, if you come from a Catholic background, that's a term that you'll be much more familiar with, immaculate conception. Do we believe in the immaculate conception? The answer is actually no, because the immaculate conception, we're not talking about Christ. The immaculate conception actually talks about Mary's conception. It's actually that Mary was conceived from a virgin. It's interesting how the Catholics have extrapolated that, but... but the answer, the answer is while we believe in a virgin birth, the Immaculate Conception, we don't believe in, in the Immaculate Conception of Mary. That's an interesting, interesting twist in this whole story. The third prophecy I want to look at is in Genesis chapter 12. And that has to do with the seed of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, 
verse 1, the Lord speaking to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing and I will bless those who curse you. And notice at the end, verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what, what, what the Lord is doing here is he is selecting the, the, the person of Abraham and his descendants, and he is saying, from your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So what he's doing now, what God is doing is he's eliminating all the other families of the world except for Abraham. Only through Abraham will the blessing come. Number four has to do with the seed of Isaac, Genesis 21. We're narrowing down. Remember this idea of a funnel. We're narrowing down what, what, how God is going to do this. Genesis 21. Look with me at verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman, whether Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for, now listen, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. And so what we, we are doing now, what God does is he, he is saying, the seed is going to come from Abraham through Isaac. What that does is that eliminates that eliminates um, Ishmael, which is the which is where the all the Arabs come from. All the Arabs look to Ishmael as their father, ultimately through Abraham to Ishmael. But in in selecting Isaac, he's eliminating all of the descendants of Ishmael. Number five, the seed of Jacob, the seed of Jacob. Numbers twenty four. Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17. I see him, but not now, and behold, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, or his name is actually changed to Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. A batter, the, uh, the brow of Moab, and destroy the sons of Tumult. And so, how is the promise, how is the scepter going to be transmitted? It is from Abraham through Isaac through now Jacob. And in selecting Jacob, he, he's, he is eliminating Esau, the other twin, who is the older brother. The older brother would normally have been the, the, the one who was, who was selected. But, the, but, but God is specifically not selecting the older brother, but rather selecting, selecting Jacob. And so in doing that, there is an eliminating of, of Esau. Number six is the tribe of Judah. Look with me in Genesis 49. The tribe of Judah.
Genesis 49, look with me at verse 10. The scepter, the, the, the ability to rule, the, the, the one who will ultimately be in charge. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh being another name for Christ. And so here we have the, the selection. Again, this, there, there's a narrowing down. It's not just Abraham, it's not just Isaac, it's not just Jacob, but out of all of the, the, the 12 children of, of Jacob who make up the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe through which, the son through which the scepter will pass is, is Judah. And what is interesting, it's not Reuben who is the oldest, nor Joseph, who was the favorite. But it will be through Judah. And in doing that, he is eliminating all the other brothers, all of all 11 brothers uh, who were not selected. Number seven is the family of Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Verse 1, therefore shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, so on. And so in, in selecting Jesse of the tribe of Judah, it eliminates all of the other families of Judah, only through Jesse will this, this promise come? Number eight is the house of David. The house of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel, are you keeping up with me? Doing okay? 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're almost finished here. 2 Samuel chapter 7. what we call the Davidic covenant. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house, talking to David, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here is the promise that promise that David and, and, and a descendant of David would forever sit on the throne. And so in, in, in doing this, it is, he's eliminating all of the other children of Jesse. Remember, Jesse had, had um, I, believe, I believe it was eight sons. And n- not the oldest. In fact, I believe David is the youngest of, the, of that family. That is who would, who would be selected. And what is interesting is when we talk about the household of David and the descendant of David, what is interesting is that both Mary and Joseph, Joseph, the, the, the legal father of Christ, both of them are descendants of David. Um, and, and there is a right to rule through both, both his mother and his father. There is a, there is a, there is a right to rule. 
Matthew being Joseph's genealogy and, and Luke being giving, giving Mary's genealogy. There's an, some interesting twists in that, which I'll not take time this morning. What I want you to think through and what I want you to understand is here, here is a sampling of, 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 of prophecies, a sampling of, of, of just, a, just a few things. Let me give you one more. There's eight prophecies. Let me give you one more, number nine, which is that he was to be born at Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, is interesting. He actually identifies because there are two Bethlehems in Israel. He actually identifies which Bethlehem it's actually going to be. You, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Even the location of his birth. Now understand that that we we have this this extensive list of prophecies which help us to understand when Christ opens to the disciples, to the, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to his disciples in Luke 24, and he says, of, of, of all of the scriptures from Moses to the prophets, they teach of me. He was turning to these passages and was saying, they, they speak specifically of me in coming. There's a, I, I found it a fascinating um, illustration, a statistician named Peter Stoner. Now, I'm not a statistician. I don't know, there probably are not many of you that are statisticians. But I found this to be a, a fascinating look at the prophecies of Christ. Stoner selected eight prophecies, and he figured the statistical probability of one person fulfilling all eight prophecies. And so he figured the probabilities. Now, I'm not a statistician, but he figured the probabilities of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies at ten to the 17th power. Now, you remember back your math, okay? That means a one with 17 zeros after it. That is the probability of one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies. Now, what is, what is one to the 17th? What is that? What is that? Now, if you took, now follow with me, okay? If you took one to the 17th silver dollars and you stack them on Iowa, the state of Iowa, 300 and some miles east to west, it's about 220 miles north to south. Okay, if you stacked 10 to the 17th silver dollars on top of Iowa, it would be a stack across the entire state, eight and a half feet deep. That's what 10 to the 17th is. That's how, that's how many it is. 
So the probability of one person fulfilling that, those eight prophecies, would be like taking one of those silver dollars and marking it, putting it into the state of Iowa and stirring it all up. You with me? Okay, you got this picture? You're stirring it all up, eight and a half feet across the entire state of Iowa, and then blindfolding a man and saying, I want you to go find the one coin that's marked. Kind of absurd, isn't it? It'd be an absurd thing to try to do. That's only eight prophecies. 48 prophecies would be 10 to 157th power. Someone has counted that there were 332 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled when Christ came. I want you to understand that that the prophecies of Christ are so specific, so direct, so powerful, that they allow us to point only to the person of Christ. In Daniel chapter 9, we have prophecies of the time of his coming. In, In Psalm 22, we have prophecies of the kind of death. In Psalm 53, we have the purpose and the substitutionary nature of his death. And yet this Savior, this Lord Jesus Christ, came and died for me, for you. And so I want you to think with me just briefly of Christ in eternity. And I want you to think through what what will you do with this Christ? What will you do with this, this Lord and Master of all creation? This one who was prophesied in the Old Testament came as a as a young babe, grew up among us, and died as only he could as a sacrifice for sin was raised on the third day and today lives in glory beside the Father. That same Jesus will save your soul. That same Jesus came and died for each one of us. And the story of Christmas is indeed a story of a Savior who came, of God's love that was shed, of God's care and compassion for us so much so that he came and he died to pay the price for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of this little one-year-old Mark that's sitting down here in the third row. I want us to understand how we today need to respond properly to Jesus Christ. It's not just thinking about him. It's not just enjoying the season. It's not just about family and friends. It's not just about having a white Christmas. It is about Jesus Christ who died for you. And I would ask you today, are you a born-again believer? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? It could be that you've grown up in this church. It could be that maybe you're here visiting. 
has Jesus Christ changed your life? The question I started with at the very beginning is, what are, what are we going to do with Christ? What are you going to do with Christ? How will you respond to him? Christ provides for us so great a salvation, and he wants for you to receive him by faith. The wonderful blessing of knowing Christ as Savior. And I would encourage you today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, today, Christmas Day, 2022, is a great day to receive him as your Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for... Uh, the privilege of thinking about uh, the prophecies of Christ, though we've just looked at a few, we thank you for how you have identified and, and established the fact that, that you indeed are the, are the chosen one of Israel who have provided so great a salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for what you will accomplish in our lives. We ask, Lord, if there be someone here who has never received Christ, that they might do so today. We'll rejoice in that and give, give thanks and glory to, to, the, to the one who has provided all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.